0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians. Turn your Bibles to the the letter to the Philippians. As we come to the end of 2013, it's really a natural time when so many people are given to reflection. I think most of us are. Maybe the holidays didn't meet up to your expectations maybe things didn't go as well as you planned or maybe things went as well as you planned and didn't seem to be fulfilled and so you begin to evaluate your life and your relationships you begin to evaluate where you're at in your life your goals and and where you're going and so it's a natural time to review the year's past with its achievements its accomplishments maybe disappointments shortcomings other people set goals for themselves make new year's resolutions hoping to find some kind of meaning or significance in accomplishing their goals, and their goals can be good. But this morning we're going to take a look at, at what does it look like to have a have one o- overarching goal as a Christian? What does it look like as a Christian to, to live life with one goal in mind? When we're talking about how do we orient our lives, and so we're going to take a break from the letter to the Ephesians that we've been going through, we'll be getting back to that in a couple weeks here, and then after that we're going to be focusing on spiritual disciplines as we kick off the new year and finish out the book of Ephesians. But for now, we're going to look at Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. This is God's Word. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Word that reorients us to truth. God, thank You for Your Word that reorients us to what we should be living for, what life is about, what our goal for life is to be. And God, at the outset of the the end of this year and the new year comes, I pray that You would help us orient our thinking scripturally, that we would live our lives to know You with our goal, That, that our goal... All other goals would be subservient to the goal of knowing Jesus. And God, I pray that this morning you would help us understand your word, apply your word, and hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, maybe you're sitting here today and you you don't know who Jesus is, really. Maybe you know that Christians believe that he's the Son of God and you know the general outline of his life, but you don't have any kind of personal relationship with him maybe you're in a different state and you believe in God generally but you don't believe that he makes any claims on your life and so therefore although there is a God you don't believe that you have any need to live for him or maybe you're trying not to believe in God this morning and and deep down you know there is a God but you're confused about things no matter where you're coming from, Scripture can help us understand what is the goal of our lives to be about. Maybe you are a Christian, and if you are a Christian, then you believe in God, in the God of the Bible. You believe that the Bible reveals Him along with the basic truths of the faith. You believe that God created the world and all that's in it. You believe that He created man and woman in His image so that mankind could have a close relationship with Him and and carry out His purposes, His goals, and bring glory to God in how we live. And as a Christian, if you're here this morning, you believe the truth of the Bible, that it speaks to you about how man rebelled, about how God called man to be perfect, and yet man rebelled in pride, wanting to be like God. Even though man was given everything, you, you believe that he disobeyed and took the one fruit, that he was forbidden and separated from his Creator. If you're a Christian this morning, you believe that because of that separation, there's an irreparable damage had been done to the relationship between man and God, and someone needed to come and, and reconcile God and man, and someone needed to come and pay for the, the crimes that man had committed against God. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus did come. We celebrated the birth of Christ last, this past week, that Christ has come. Why do we celebrate that as Christians? We celebrate that because Jesus came to be the representative of a new humanity. He came to represent mankind where we failed, where mankind failed. Jesus did not fail. He lived a perfect life. He earned the right to stand before God blameless. And then he died in our place and he took all the punishment and sins that mankind deserved. And then God gave that right to stand blameless before him to all of those who put their faith and trust in him. If you haven't heard much about Christianity, you need to know that the man who wrote this letter that I read that scripture from earlier, Philippians, the man who wrote that letter, he was hostile to Christianity at first. Maybe, maybe that's where you find yourself too. You see, apart from God taking hold of you, from God revealing Himself to you, all of us are hostile to God. All of us are hostile to Christianity. And the guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he was hostile to Christianity. He was hostile to God. He, in fact, he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, a religious Jewish leader of their day. He personally persecuted Christians who told people about Jesus and he actually oversaw the execution of those who shared their faith. And a few verses earlier in Philippians, Paul, he tells the the readers, he lets them into his life a little bit and he says in Philippians 3, 4 to 6, he says, I myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. I have reason for confidence in who I am and what I've done and my accomplishments If anybody else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh and his abilities, what he's accomplished and done, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, he was obeying the law from the very beginning. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul was a very real religious man. He was a a very religious Jewish man. He even persecuted people who who he thought defiled his religion. But something happened to shake him up. He was dramatically changed. He was converted by God as he encountered this Jesus who he persecuted on the road to go persecute more Christians. He was taken hold of by God. And we have that that word in our passage today. It's it's like he was physically arrested. He was stopped. He was taken hold of by Jesus himself and given a new purpose for living. And so in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 3, Paul says of all of his past achievements, all that he had earned. Paul was an educated man. He was was no dummy. He was the equivalent of the Ph.D. in our day. That was Paul in his day. He had studied under the, the best of religious leaders. He'd become quite famous at that time for persecuting Christians, for his zeal, for his knowledge. But he says in verses 7 and 8 of Philippians 3, he says, But whatever gain, whatever I could point to and say that I had done on my own, whatever accomplishments I had, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Any gain I have, any confidence I have in my abilities, my accomplishments. He says, I count as loss because of the surpassing worth. Here's why he, he was changed so dramatically. He was changed so dramatically because he saw the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them... He used to say, count them as... Okay, I'm going to put that stuff behind me. I count them as rubbish... I count any earnings, any, any pride, any position, any role, any notoriety that I've got, any, any confidence I have in my ability to be a good person, I count it all, not just as behind me, but I count it all as rubbish, as, as street trash, in order that I might gain Christ. You see, Paul had a singular goal. He encountered Jesus, and he, he then made his entire life's goal. He oriented his entire life around one thing, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, once Paul's eyes were opened and he saw who Jesus really is, he gave up all of his achievements. He gave up all of his accomplishments so that he might know Jesus. And so now, his entire life is about one thing. It's about knowing Jesus, that he might gain Christ. He might, might understand Him more. He might gain knowledge. He might possess Jesus personally, have Jesus Himself. And so in verse 10, Paul says his aspiration in Philippians 3.10. He says, that I might know Him. I count everything as loss. Nothing else is important. Nothing else counts. All my achievements, all my goals, all my accomplishments, all those things are worthless. I count one thing. One thing is surpassing Him all. He says, I, I want to that I might gain Christ. In verse 10, he says, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. In the verses that we're focusing on this morning, Paul says, Look, my goal is to know Jesus, but I haven't arrived yet. My goal is to know Jesus, but I haven't arrived yet. You might think, hey, wait a minute, this is the guy who's writing, writing the New Testament, writing the Bible. He's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so surely this guy has arrived. He's at the plateau, the pinnacle of knowledge, and he's perfect. But he's saying, no, I I haven't arrived yet. And the reason he's telling the Philippians this is because he wants them to know that they haven't arrived yet either. And for all of us today reading or hearing this scripture, it applies to us too. You see, none of us has arrived. All of our accomplishments, all of our achievements on our own, anything we've gained on our own, it pales in comparison. It's counted like rubbish in comparison to one thing. It's knowing Jesus. And in knowing Jesus in that great goal that we're called to live for, none of us has arrived yet. None of us has arrived yet. And as we we think about this past year and review the coming year, let us review everything in light of how can I seek to know Jesus more? How can I seek to make Him my ambition, my goal? Setting New Year's resolutions are great. I'm sure there'll be 100 treadmills bought uh, in, in this next week, probably in this congregation. And, and probably 75 of them won't be used in about three months. <laughs> Physical exercise is, is good. It's of some benefit. But there's a godliness with contentment that God desires for us to have as we approach this new year. And So the main idea of these verses that I want to focus on, it's really simple. It's, it's straight from the passage. It's that none of us has arrived yet. None of us. Well, when we're reviewing things, none of us, none of us has arrived yet. That that gives you hope that you're not the only one who hasn't arrived yet. By the way, none of us has arrived yet. The Apostle Paul hasn't arrived yet. Don't be condemned. None of us has arrived yet, but we must press on. Main idea. None of us has arrived yet, but we must press on like we're running to win the prize. You see, none of us has arrived, but we have to press on. We're still called to press on like we're running to win a prize, Sometimes we can act like we can forget that there is a prize at the end of this life. We can fail to run with the really most important goal in mind. We can fail to see that there's a prize at the end of this life. And because of that, we can kind of run aimlessly. We can lose track of of our focus. We can run for so many other things in so many other directions, and we can fail to run to know Jesus. No matter who you are, though, you haven't arrived. And if we really think about every area of our speech, our attitude, our actions, our behavior, n- none of us are fully knowing Jesus in the way that we speak. If you, if you know Jesus in the way you speak, it's going to be f- reflected in, in your speech to others. None of us fully know Jesus in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in our behavior to our family, our relatives, our neighbors, our friends. We still need to grow. We still need to know Jesus more in our thinking. We still need to know Jesus more in our speech. We still need to know Jesus more in our actions. We are imperfect. We haven't arrived yet. See, in verse 12, Paul said, "...not that I already have obtained this or am already perfect." He just set us up for the first four verses before this and said that his goal is to know Christ Jesus, his Lord. There's a surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, and he makes that his aim, his pursuit in all of his life, but then he says, but I've I've not obtained this, and I'm not already perfect. And maybe this morning you're sitting here thinking, well, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I think there's a bunch of perfect people in this room, or maybe... Maybe because this guy is a pastor, or this guy is a small group leader, or this guy has this role or position, or they've been a Christian longer, or whatever. Maybe I feel like they're more perfect than me. And Paul says, no, the, the playing field is pretty level here. We're, none of us has arrived yet. The first point we're going to see from the passage is really simple. It's just we haven't arrived yet. And so in verse 13, he uses inclusive language. He's not just saying this is about him. He says, brothers, and that word can be translated brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's saying, I don't I'm not I'm not deluded. Don't you be deluded either. We're in this together. Don't be deceived. None of us has arrived. We've not made it our own. So because of that, let's let's pursue the goal together. And so he calls his readers, brothers and sisters, and it applies to those who've been adopted as God's children through believing in Jesus. So it's clear Paul didn't think he arrived. And we have to reflect on this fact that we haven't arrived yet. Not to be condemned, but to have some some sobriety, some humility. Not to make ourselves feel bad, but so that it pushes us to want to know Jesus more. You see, sometimes we can, we can get so caught up into thinking about the end of this year when, okay, how, what have I done? How have I how I've been living? And, and we can have really good goals, but we don't have those good goals in relation to say, you know what? The one chief goal I want to have is to know Jesus. And then how has that played out in all of my life? How is my life oriented around that? We don't want to make ourselves feel bad when we think that we haven't arrived, but we do want to realize where we need to grow in knowing Jesus and make progress and have joy in life. You see, the reason Paul's writing this to the Philippians is not to make them feel bad, but it's to make them understand that, you know what, whenever we stray away from knowing Jesus, that's when we fail to make progress in the Christian life. That's when we lose joy in the Christian life. And Paul uses the word that we have in English as perfect. It has really the meaning of being brought to completion or for and for Paul as for all christians we 're not made perfect to complete until we arrive at the goal of knowing jesus fully and that 's not going to happen here in this life it 's only going to happen in the future. Paul clearly believed he wouldn 't and had not obtained the full knowing of Christ in this life. Some people act as if you can as if you can okay i 'm going to actually be perfect completely in this life well. Now, remember a guy named Ligon Duncan, he's a pastor down in Mississippi and he shared the story of how he heard a minister talking and sharing a message and in his message he talked about how you could be actually perfect in this life and make no mistakes and you get to the point of perfection and he had gone 3 years without sinning. And so a guy came up to him afterwards and said, "Pastor, since you're perfect, you wouldn't mind if I if I asked your wife what she thought about that?" And he goes, "Oh, well, you could ask, but she doesn't believe that, that that doctrine is true. So she might answer you differently. <laughs> now, clearly, if we're honest with ourselves, nobody's arrived yet. Don't be deceived. The Apostle Paul hadn't arrived yet. Now, now he has, but he not, had not at the time when he wrote that. None of us has arrived. I could pretend and act like I have arrived at perfection. And you know what? Sometimes some people think that Christian life is all about pretending as if you've arrived. Pretending as if you're perfect. Pretending that you don't have faults or flaws. That you don't make mistakes. You know what that does? It drives people away from Jesus. Because we can't be perfect. Nobody knows we can't be perfect on our own. That's not appealing. To have people who are fake and false and have pretense and and pretend that everything's all together and, and, and that they're better. What we need to admit as people who believe in Jesus is that, no, we have issues, we have problems, we have faults, we have weaknesses, but we have hope. We have hope because we can know Jesus and He he can actually change us in our weaknesses, in our faults, in our failings. Maybe you're not a Christian and you've gotten the wrong idea that Christians think they're perfect. Maybe you met a Christian and you realized that they weren't and... It turned you off. Maybe you've rejected the truth of who Jesus is because you've seen Christians live hypocritically or because someone who's a Christian has hurt you or offended you. It's important for you to know that we don't believe that we're perfect. It's important for you as an unbeliever in the room to know that we don't believe we've arrived yet. We've been forgiven of our sins. We we, We don't want to excuse sin. We don't use it as license to sin. We're still responsible for the consequences but God's done a work in our lives. He's taken hold of us and made us able to say no to the areas where we're tempted to sin. And, but we still need to grow. But here's the thing, we have hope. Knowing that we've not arrived actually gives us hope. You know what? I've not arrived, but I have hope that God's, God's making me more like Him. He's helping me grow in Him. And there's hope to change in those areas. You know, and, and when you face life, And there's fears and anxieties in life, there's difficulties, there's challenges in life. Life is full of so many problems. And apart from God, there's not hope for a real change in those things unless you're just trying to make yourself better. But then that's actually a place of despair because you realize that you can try, but ultimately you can only get so far on your own. And so as Christians, really, we just have we have hope. We have hope that God is the one who changes us. Because we haven't arrived, he's, he's helping us grow. He's helping us change in Him. He's enabling us to change. And so Paul's saying in these verses Because we haven't arrived, even though we have a certain hope of being made complete in Jesus after Christ, after the after I'm sorry, been made complete in Christ after death, God is working in us to change us. And look at verse 12, if you will. He says, I haven't arrived yet, but. So I haven't arrived yet, but what do I do? What do I do in the response to no, know that I've not arrived yet? I'm not there. Do we just stay there? Do we just stay hanging out in the fact that we're weak? We haven't arrived? He says, no, but I press on. But I press on. I'm not condemned by that. I'm not discouraged by that. I, I'm not put down by that. I'm saying I haven't arrived yet. I can be honest with myself. We can be honest with ourselves. We haven't arrived yet, but we press on. But I press on to make it my own. Why? He says, because Jesus, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. The second thing that we're going to see is that we must eagerly press on towards the goal. And the hope that we have of being able to press on towards the goal is because Christ Jesus has made us His own. So because He's made us His own, we can press on to the goal. Don't be condemned. Don't be discouraged. He's made you His own. Now, press on. Because He's the one who holds you. It, it, the language that Paul uses is that I might lay hold of Christ. That might, I might gain Him. I might lay hold of Him. I might hang on to Him. And he says, because He's, he's laid hold of me. He's, he's grabbed me. He's rescued me. And so that's our hope. They're eagerly pressed on is that He has laid hold of us. Paul was certain that Jesus Christ had laid hold of Him and made Paul his own. And if you place your trust in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, You can be certain that He has laid hold of you. You can be certain that He's made you His own. And if He's made you His own, then there's hope for pressing on. You see, this is not some kind of earning. This is not some kind of way that we earn favor before God that somehow, okay, we're going to press on just dutifully and if we press on, God's going to be really impressed with us. That's not the case at all. He says, no, we can press on and we need to press on and we can press on and we must eagerly press on. Why? Because... Jesus has laid hold of us. He's arrested us. And He holds us. So press on. You can have confidence. There's a guy named F.F. F. Bruce. He's a commentator. And i like a quote by him I'm going to share with you. And he says, talking about the Apostle Paul, he says, Precisely because he has not yet arrived at the goal specified... Talking about the Apostle Paul, precisely because Paul has not yet arrived at the goal specified in verses 10 to 11, he is pursuing it with all his might. So we haven't arrived yet, and because of that, he's pursuing it with all his might, which in this first instance is expressed in terms of taking hold, reaching for, grasping for, taking hold of the very thing for which Christ first took hold of him. Paul's point as always, is that Christ's work is the prior one, and that all His own effort is simply in response to and for the sake of that prior apprehension, taking hold of Him by Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, because Paul was aware he had not yet arrived, he was aware of the fact that Jesus had taken hold of him, and it was because of those things that he wanted to take hold of Christ that he might know him more. Because Christ had taken hold of him. And so in the second half of verse 13, we can look down and see. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. So what what was he telling us here? He's saying in order to press on, in order to press on, we have to forget what lies behind. In order to press on, we have to forget what lies behind. How do we press on towards this goal? We need to forget what lies behind, and we need to strain forward. Everything that Paul is pressing on towards is motivated by a desire to know Christ fully until He's fully known face to face. And what Paul refers to in, chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 1 is the day of Jesus Christ. See, all of the Philippians really is about coming to that day of Jesus Christ Making progress in, and having joy in the Christian faith through knowing Jesus and he 's talking about a, a full on strain he says I, i'm forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead he 's talking about like a full on strain straining with everything we have once in a while and if you've ever watched those competitions they have on ESPN once in a while the, the world 's strongest man competitions and where these huge guys pick up like rocks and things and, and throw refrigerators, and they, they walk around with a car frame and, and, and things like that, and if you ever watch that, those guys they 're not talking they 're not like, "Yeah, yup, this is really great i 'm having a great day. How are you?" And now they 're not saying a word. what are they 're going mm, they 're straining and everything in them, every fiber, you can see it in their face, you can see their neck muscles, you can see every bit of their body just straining every muscle, every nerve fiber to attain their goal. They're straining. They're walking around with that car. Now, now, what do they get at the end of that? They get a belt, I think. Maybe they get a sponsorship. Maybe they get some free protein shakes. I don't know. But... when Paul's talking about that kind of straining with everything that you have, with all that we are, We're to strain forward. What for? Not for protein shakes, not for a belt, but for the goal of knowing Jesus. Why? Because there's a prize. So in the midst of difficulties, he's encouraging to press on. He's not talking about perfectionism. He's not talking about earning our upward calling in Christ. And if you're not a Christian here, don't be confused. Paul's not saying that you become a Christian by straining forward and forgetting what lies behind. He's not saying that. You see, you become a Christian by admitting that You're not there, that you're a sinner, that you confess your sins to God, admit that you deserve to be punished for your sins. And put your trust in the fact that he died to take the punishments you deserve, that you deserve so you can be forgiven. The good news is that Jesus has died for our sins. That's what we get excited about, that's what we sing about. That we won't be punished for them. And he did that to restore us to a right relationship with God and that he enables us to respond to him in faith and turn from our sinful life for living for ourselves And receive his forgiveness and be welcomed into his family. That's the foundational truth we need to know at the close of this year and the outset of a new year. You don't become a Christian by pressing on. But if you are a Christian, you must be pressing on. You must be pressing on. If you're a genuine Christian, it's going to be seen in how you press on to know Jesus and be made to be more like him day by day, step by step. And he's talking about persevering in Jesus and persevering in the good news that we know and how we live every day and applying that to our life. And and he's using in these verses really some some vivid mental pictures. And he's using the, the picture of a marathon. and Not just any marathon, but the marathon in the Olympic Games. And he's using that imagery about running. And if you think about running, it's so easy to get distracted. For me, I hate running. I detest it. I always have. Even when I ran... A lot. Every day. I I ran because I had a goal to get in shape, to play soccer. So I ran, not because I liked running, but I I ran with a goal in mind. But I I didn't enjoy it, and it was easy for me to get distracted by anything. I wanted to be distracted almost, you know? And in a Christian life, it's easy to get distracted by so much. It's easy to get distracted because it's a long race. This is not a sprint. This is a long marathon race that we're in. And you can get distracted by the people around you. You can look around and be like, hey, I like, wow, nice jersey. And you can forget. You can get distracted. You can lose your way. You can can forget what course you're running on. You can be more concerned with who's behind you and distracted from the goal that lies ahead. And Paul's saying, I I left behind any attempt. I don't want to be distracted by anything. I left behind any attempt to gain a right standing before God because of my works and observing the law, commandments of the Old Testament. I'm leaving behind any reliance on what I can do to be right with God, and I'm strain forward. I want to forget any confidence in myself, any any legalistic accomplishments, any ability to say, you know what, I've, I've done that. Because those things distract us from actually knowing Jesus, running the race. And so for us too, the, the concern for us as runners is the same today, that we wouldn't be distracted by anything in our race that would keep us from focusing on on the hope of knowing Jesus. Don't be distracted by your own accomplishments. Don't be distracted by um, your behavior. Don't be distracted by the fact that you're, you're doing well. Say, so you know what? I want to know Jesus. I don't want to be distracted by it. I don't want to put confidence in ourselves. I don't want to put confidence in my performance. I want to hope in Jesus. I want to hope in knowing Him. And so to hope in our ability to to obey God perfectly, it would be to hope in the things that Paul says, I left those behind as rubbish. I left those behind as trash. And don't don't start hoping in in trash or rubbish, your ability to obey God perfectly on your own. There's there's no ability to do that. And then we must not let our failure, our supposed success, no matter where you're at, keep us from hoping in Jesus. And thinking about this new year, if we're going to press on, if we're going to press on towards the goal, the, the goal that all other goals should be subservient to, press on towards the goal of knowing Him, we're going to have to leave some things behind. We're going to have to leave practically, we're going to have to leave condemnation and guilt behind. Yes, we've not attained it yet, but we have a goal of knowing Jesus, and He's going to help us. We have to leave behind a lifestyle that ignores conviction. Leave behind hanging on to your, your secret vices because you're afraid to give them up or. You're hoping in them to give you comfort, a peace, and fulfillment. There's there's all kinds of ways that we need to leave our our confidence and other things behind. Maybe you're you're feeling like you're trapped in sin and like you're you can't change because you're too weak. You need to leave behind even trusting in that and say, you know, I want to I want to know Jesus and that's my hope that He's going to help me because because I am weak because I've not arrived yet. He's going to help me. He's going to enable me. Leave behind the idea that you ever have the idea that okay. I'm just waiting for the day when I'm going to be completely changed. Maybe if I understood some secret, some key to the Christian life, then I would truly get it, and life would make sense, and I'd be able to overcome this, and why do I still struggle with this sin? I'm probably missing some secret, some, some key here. We need to leave behind that way of thinking and, and say, no, I'm going I'm to trust that this is a journey, a race that He's called me to. And, and as I know Him... As I know him, he's going to make me more like him. Leave behind spending time on thinking about what might have been. And that's that's so often a trap that we get into this time of year. of thinking of regrets and things that might have been and what we should have done differently. Now we need to learn from our mistakes, but the reality is we can't be trapped there. We need to press on. Press on towards the goal of knowing him. Maybe we need to leave behind a, a critical outlook in life that's keeping you in the past. That's keeping you focused on, on what is not, and always looking to try to improve others, as if being critical is a God-given gift that you have. But the last time I looked, being critical is not one of the fruits of the spirit. It, it's it's good to improve in areas of weakness. It's good to be seeking to grow, but often we can use that as a mask for just being critical and ungrateful and dissatisfied for trying to, to press on, maybe you need to leave behind the, the idealistic view you've had of relationships and you have this this overblown view that you're you're gonna find a perfect relationship maybe in the church or outside the church or marriage or whatever and, and if you have that relationship then everything will be okay. But see, subtly you can get distracted from your race and that now relationships can be your goal or having the perfect organization or a perfect family or living the perfect life. Those things can subtly shift to being your goal and, and it can keep you from running the race with your goal of knowing Jesus. We need to press on. We need to forget demanding that others in your life change before you pursue change as if... I will only be able to change if these other people in my life change. But then, then that becomes your goal. Other people's change instead of knowing Jesus. And that distracts you from the, from the race. If I just get in better shape and feel better about my body, everything's going to be okay. And that's, that's good. And a lot of us, including me, we all need to get in better shape. But that's not our ultimate goal. And it can subtly distract us from the goal of knowing Jesus. The reason Paul ran a Christian life, it was to win a prize. But his focus, don't, don't get bogged down in even Paul's illustration. It wasn't to win the prize as opposed to other people so that he would win and everybody else would lose. That's not what he's talking about. He says, we, we want to we win the prize because all who want, run this way win the same prize. And so all Christians are to run as if they're striving to win a long-distance endurance race. And so in verse 14, if you look in verse 14, he says, I press on. Why is he pressing on? What is he pressing on towards? I press on towards the goal for the prize. There's a goal They're pressing on, the goal of knowing him, and there is a prize for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so the third point that we see from this verse is that we're to press on like we're running to win the prize. How are you pressing on in your walk? Are you running as if there really is a prize? Or are you running aimlessly thinking there really is no prize in this life? There is no reward You see, it's actually good to live for the ultimate and final reward of knowing Jesus. That is a good prize to to live for and to strive for and say, I want to win that prize. And we're to run in such a way as as if we're running a race to win a prize. And so his emphasis in in these two verses is on the pursuit of the prize itself. And his concern that he had for the Philippians is that they wouldn't get distracted and they would pursue this prize. And that's really the main concern of the whole letter, that nothing... Nothing, no persecution, no hardship, no difficulty, no challenges, no weakness in your own life, no past failures. Nothing would get in the way of the reader's pursuit of Christ Jesus and the prize of knowing Him fully. And because we can be sure of this outcome, the fact that He holds us, that He's taken hold of us, because we already can be sure of that, we can rest in it and run and press on so as to win the prize. Run as if we're running to win the race. And the goal is to get to the finish line. The goal is to get to the finish line. You think of running the Boston Marathon that they held a while ago, and if there was no finish line, what is the point of that race? I, I, well... Personally, I don't see the point of many marathons, but what's the point of any marathon, any race, if there's no goal at the end, if there's no finish line to cross, there's nothing in mind. You see, we were built, we were made to pursue the finish line, to pursue the prize. And what prize were we made to to pursue, ultimately, in life? It was knowing God. You see, when we were separated from God, our ability to know God was, was taken away in part from us. It was... It was made so that we could not know God fully. We were no longer walked with Him and talked with Him personally. And so God creates this desire. It's, he, it was this innate, what we were born with as humanity, what He created us with was this desire to know Him. And so now all of our lives would be oriented around the fact that because we have Jesus, now we can know Him. So I want to make all of my life about knowing Him. And that's how God's actually restoring humanity is by restoring humanity to relationship with Him through knowing Jesus. And so what does it look like to press on in this life? Well, it looks like holding on to our future hope, living in light of the fact that we're headed for the upper call of God. And, and Paul talks about this prize and he says, it's of surpassing worth. And the question for you and I is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe the prize we're running for is of surpassing worth? This knowing Jesus, is that really of surpassing worth to you? Or are you living for other things or other things of surpassing worth? In this calling that Paul had been given, and that all those who are Paul's brothers and sisters have been given, it's it's a call of God. And it's a call that's secure in Jesus. And so the reason that he runs this way, that he's so urgent, it can be found earlier in Philippians one twenty five. See, Paul's not just trying to say, run, 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 you know, just for no reason at all. Well, in Philippians 1.25, he tells them the whole reason why he's writing to him in this manner in the whole letter. And he says that my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's better. Paul Paul wanted to be with Jesus. And he knew that would be better than staying here in this earth. But yet he says, that's my desire, but to remain here in the flesh, to remain on the earth, to remain here in the flesh, it's more necessary in your account. And why is it necessary? He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all And here's really the key of why are we to run like we're winning a prize. He says, for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. Maybe you're lacking progress in the faith. The Apostle Paul, God is writing to you so that you might press on to know Jesus so that you might have progress in the faith. He's writing to you to press on, to forget what lies behind you, to strain forward, to realize that we've not arrived yet. To press on towards the goal as if there's a prize. Why? So that you might have joy. Because real joy, true joy comes from knowing Jesus. Maybe you've been lacking joy and the holidays are just awful for that. The most wonderful time of the year can be the most depressing time too. Because of all the unmet expectations, because you look to. All these perfect times with family and friends and relatives, whatever, to to meet you and fulfill you and make you satisfied. They never really leave you fully satisfied. But Paul says, you know, I want you to have joy in the Christian life. I want you to have progress in the Christian life by pressing on to know Jesus. That's where you're going to find fulfillment. That's where you're going to find satisfaction. That's where you're going to find joy and hope. Don't lose sight of the goal. Live in light of the future, the upper call of Jesus. Live for knowing Jesus here and now, certain that you're going to know Him fully at the consummation. So run! Run to the finish line. Don't walk there. There's a prize that's worth far more than any earthly prize, worth more than any wreath or any gold medal that an Olympic runner might receive. The ultimate reason for our running now is a prize of surpassingly great worth. As you reflect on the end of this year, I want you to think about what do you put your worth in? What's of surpassing worth to you? What are, what's the, the, the goal that's driving your life? What's the prize that you're living for? And then we're as Christians, we're to orient all of our lives around the goal of knowing Jesus and then running the race to win a prize. And all of our lives are to be oriented around those, that goal, that overarching goal of knowing Christ Jesus. Because it's something more valuable than what others think of you. It's something more valuable than how much money you can make or what your job title is. It's something more valuable than, than anything else. And Paul wrote this way so that the hearers of his letter be able to make progress in running and have joy in running. Knowing God's the one who called them. And so... He's the one who's going to keep you faithful to the end. He wants them to have true and lasting hope. And so often in life we become hopeless. We stop at the we haven't arrived yet stage. But we don't press on. We give up. We don't have hope in He who is our answer. We don't have hope in, in Jesus and knowing Him. And He's the one who's going to enable us to change. And He's the one who's going to change us. So often we give up, we lose hope because we see that we haven't arrived yet. Of course you haven't arrived yet. Nobody has. We press on to the goal, we press on as if we're running to win a prize. Paul wants them to know they're called in the here and now to live for the future, confident of his calling, confident their running isn't in vain. God's called his children to himself. And his ultimate calling, it's only going to be affected when we see him face to face. He's called us to Himself, and meanwhile we run to Him knowing that we're only going to be fully like Him on that day. But you know, if the whole reason for living has no goal, no future, no prize, if there's no future, no goal, no point to life, then you might as well give up. If the present is all there is, it's depressing, isn't it? If all there is, is this life, then that's depressing indeed. You know why? Because every one of us is getting old. One day, all of our health will fail. One day, all of us will die. I love the story of the Christmas carol because he sees what motivates him to change ultimately. It's, okay, he sees Christmas past, he sees Christmas present, but he he sees the future, where his life is ending. All of us one day will die, and if there is no point, if there is no goal, if there is no prize, then all is lost and we run in vain. But Paul says that's not the case. We don't run in vain. We don't labor in vain. There is a prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So make it your aim to know Him and be found in Him, not having a righteousness, and ability to stand before God that's your own, but putting our righteousness, having a righteousness that's in Him. The rock music legend If you're under the age of 30, you may not know his name. His his name's Bob Dylan, a guy who is incomprehensible when he sings now, but he was a great songwriter back in the day. And he once wrote a song called Forever Young. It was later covered by Rod Stewart and then I think just last year by Nora Jones. You might know who that is. And um, the lyric for the song is they express this desire to be forever young. And he says, May God bless you and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others and let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the stars and climb on every rung. May you grow up to be righteous. May you grow up to be true. May you always know the truth and see the light surrounding you. May you always be courageous, stand upright, and be strong. May you stay forever young. May your hands always be busy. May your feet always be swift. May you have a strong foundation when the winds of change shift. May your heart always be joyful. And may your song always be sung. May you stay forever young. He had some right ideas there, but his hope was not in the right place. Some right ideas, some right things he was calling. Some of those are Christian ideas. To do under others. To have them do under you. To be joyful. To have your song be sung. To to be secure, be stable, to always know the truth and to be righteous and grow up to be true and be busy. and Those are some good principles. But the problem is, his hope was that you would attain those things by being forever young. Well, Bob's looking pretty old these days. <laughs> None of us are forever young. The problem is, in this world, there's no way for us to remain forever young. That's not our hope. You know, we have this addiction in our country with looks and diets and cosmetic surgery and facelifts and exercise and miracle diets and supplements. But in the end, this life will end. What are we living for? What's our goal? Do we we run as if there's a prize? Otherwise, if you're running this if there's no prize, it's pointless. But there is a prize. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, there is a prize. He's going to call you up and you will know Jesus fully as you have already been known. You will be able to fully, forever take hold of Him as He's already taken hold of you. It's depressing if we live for this world. That song would be a frustrating song because it wishes for something that you can never have on your own. You see, as humans, we were made to be in communion with God eternally. That's how we were created. And once that was broken, once we were separated from God, God made us to want to long to be with Him, to not be satisfied with anything lesser. And every attempt in our lives to be satisfied with anything lesser will result in disappointment and failure, and it be futile. And so Paul is reorienting the Philippians, and, and through Paul, God's reorienting us and let us reorient our lives. You see, we're made to live for God and live in light of that ultimate day, for the day when we would know God face to face and He wants His people to live for the future and live each day in light of the future. He wants us to live this way. Why? For our progress and for our joy. There's joy to be found in the Christian life, joy that comes from knowing Jesus and counting everything else as lost. Not, not conforming to a list of do's and don'ts and pretending that you're perfect. There's not joy in that. But we can enjoy a relationship in Christ. We can find joy amidst whatever circumstances you face. And for those who are believers in Christ, we need to be constantly reminded that this life has purpose. We need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of all meaningful things. He's our goal. He's the prize. You need to be reminded there's no greater prize to live for than to know Him and we're being reminded not to let anything else distract us from running this race so we can run like we're, we're running to win a prize. Because here's the good news. One day, if you place your hope and your faith, your trust in Jesus, you're going to cross that line because He's taken hold of you. Because He's taken hold of you, He's never going to let you go. And there's going to be a prize of knowing Him fully being restored to that relationship that man originally had with God. Where you can see Him and and be known by Him and be seen face to face. And one day we're going to cross that finish line. And for all those who persevere, there's a prize in store. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this reminder from Your Word to orient our lives around knowing You. That that is what matters most. Let all other things in our lives become subservient to that, Lord. And as we close out this new year, let us not be condemned. Lord, as we close out this past year, God, I pray that we would not be condemned by where we're weak and where we've failed. Lord, I pray that we would just see that, yeah, we've not arrived yet. But, Lord, let us press on. Let's forget what lies behind and strain forward to know you, God, so that we might make progress and have joy in the Christian walk. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, well, before you're released, I'll read some words to you from Jude 1, 24. It says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Let me read that again. Now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.